keeps me singing as I go. Great, let's keep singing with What a Friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry. Everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? sorrows bear. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Find a solace there. Isn't it great to know that Jesus is our comforter, our leader, our shepherd? And we're going to sing this next song. It's I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It just reminds us to say back to him that we're dedicated to following him no matter what happens. There's a little uh, extra chorus here, so if you don't know it, just listen in, or if you do know it, sing out. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go Turning back, no 
darkest night No matter where you lead No turning back No turning back And I will see my eyes on you, no matter where you lead, no turning back, no turning back, let's sing the world behind me, the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back, Lord I will follow you, through the dark Follow Jesus. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning be here tonight say amen. amen that's a good song brother Daniel love that chorus to that song we'll sing that the next couple of Wednesdays let's let's do that so we can keep learning that you may be seated tonight we're going to do something here Nina I want you to stay at the piano I want a special time of, of prayer brother Mike why don't you come if you would I want you to word our prayer um, I went home for for supper tonight and uh, and unfortunately the news was on when I walked in the house um, and just begin to listen on what's going on in Afghanistan. Ben Shapiro, who doesn't always have it right, but usually has his facts right, said, said this, I quote, he said, this is the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis, but instead of Iran, it's Afghanistan. Instead of a crisis of over 42 hostages, 52 hostages, it's a crisis over 10,000 to 15,000 Americans and 80,000 to 100,000 American allies. They made the point um, of how women and girls in Afghanistan are particularly in extreme danger. 
because of the Taliban takeover. And, and it just, it, it puts some things in perspective for me tonight that in America, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna speak irresponsibly or, or, or with insensitivity even in the tone of my voice, but I'll take COVID-19 over the Taliban. Our little girls are gonna come to church tonight. They're gonna go home tonight and they're gonna be safe. And, and, and there are girls that, that are fearing for their very lives, not to speak of their sexual purity. And, and I, I think it calls upon us to just intercede for them in prayer and not just the American people over there. Every single person over there is created in God's image. And so as we sit in a comfortable auditorium, not thinking twice about the fear of reprisal tonight for worship, there are missionaries and underground churches that will continue to meet through this and maybe be martyred. I'm not exaggerating. Maybe be martyred during this season of time. Here's the promise that we have. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And it's proven through history. When persecution comes, God's church does okay. But we need to pray for missionaries, we need to pray for women and girls. We need to pray for our military. Many of them being deployed over there in a very hostile situation. We need to pray for our president. Instead of complaining, we need to pray for our secretary of defense, for, for the vice president, for all those involved in the decision. You guys probably get this is a very serious thing. So I just feel like, Brother Mike, we just need to pray and, and ask God to, to intervene according to his will, give grace and strength and comfort to everybody that needs it um, around the globe. They, and then I want you to pray for something particular for, for Miss Margaret Lambeth. Man, I sure miss hearing her on Sunday nights play the piano for offertory. Hopefully she can get back to that, but she has a big back surgery to, tomorrow. And this is the one that the doctor said you need to put off as long as possible and she can't put it off any longer. And the recovery might be very, very extensive and difficult. We don't know. Um, but we know God is the healer. And he's the divine great physician. And we're going to pray that he would go before Miss Margaret. She's already in Wichita preparing for that surgery with her daughter. And so let's pray for that, Brother Mike, and for the situation in Afghanistan. As he prays, you pray in your heart tonight. Father, we come before you. And Lord, um, as a church family, we are... A burden for those in our midst that have uh, health problems and we uh, want to lift up Miss Margaret tonight who's got uh, very important back surgery tomorrow Lord you you've known that this was coming since eternity passed uh, but God it's on our hearts and I know that it's on her heart that she would get through that successfully but God uh, that you would guide her surgeon that that would be a very uh, successful procedure be as uh, not as invasive as it as you would allow it to be, that it would be uh, just effective and, and not as much recovery. And God, we just pray that um, as she's balancing the needs of her cancer treatment and now this back surgery, God, that you would just help her body to heal through that and, and go through that, Lord. And then we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan who are being murdered for their faith. We pray for those, God, who are just uh, flat out being killed. 
God, we we trust what your word says that uh, though you don't want persecution to happen, God, you use it for the advancement of the gospel. Lord, that there's reward that comes even when that has to happen in our lives. But God, we just pray, Lord, that you would deliver uh, these people from the hands of wicked and evil people. Lord, we trust that what your word says is that in heaven you stand and you judge. And God, you see unrighteousness and you see evil. And God, you're not sitting on your hands, but Lord, you are a just and righteous God. And what is happening on this earth is not what you want. And Lord, I pray that your heavenly authority would be expressed in earth. God, that whether you'd use our president and our nation or whether you'd use other nations, God, that you would stop the evil that's progressing through Afghanistan. God, for your name's sake. Lord, for the progress of the gospel, would you do that, Lord, we pray. And and God, I pray that as Americans, as people who enjoy the blessings of safety and, and a large, large, large degree of religious freedom, God, would we watch these brothers and sisters in Christ endure persecution? God, would we be motivated, just like the church at Philippi was when they saw Paul, who was persecuted, to be more bold with the gospel, to be more in obedience to the gospel? God, would you use the in our lives for that reason. Lord, we love you and we trust in your sovereignty. We trust in your plan. Lord, even when it contradicts what makes sense to us, Lord, we trust this situation to you tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much for the mic. Thank you, team. Music team for helping us worship tonight. I appreciate uh, Brother Mike praying somewhat of an imprecatory prayer. Right there. In this, in this kind of time, if you study the book of Psalms, those kind of prayers are appropriate. Lord, please judge the evil and stop the evil. And, and in your will and in your time, in your sovereign power, exercise judgment over the evildoer. And, and that is perfectly appropriate to pray in the right spirit. Um, if you didn't hear on... Um, Sunday night, Brother Mike and Shelby got voted in at Fellowship Baptist Church in Garden City. So Mike will be their next pastor. Brother Mike, how many pastors now have, will have gone before you? Do you remember that? Eight. Eight. Eight pastors. So you're number nine? Wow. What does the number nine stand for in the Bible? I don't know numerology. I didn't stand, I didn't, I didn't study that. Very well. Um, let's pray for them. Um, I just recorded a video today for Brother Eli. I think it's for an announcement video or something he's doing. Um, but it's kind of got some important dates coming up that, that are tied into the transition for Brother Mike and Shelby into uh, Garden City. And so I, I want everybody to participate as much as you possibly can in those events. The first one is next Wednesday, a week from today is his ordination. At 7 o'clock, it'll be a special service for our church. And, and then the, the following Sunday, the um, 29th, uh, that evening, Brother Michael will preach his farewell message. And we'll have a reception um, after church. We'll do some special things for them. You don't want to miss that. And then, um, and then uh, September 19th will be the, his official first Sunday as pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church in Garden City. And so uh, we're going to have church ourselves here on that morning, but on that night, uh, we're providing transportation, even if you need it, 
uh, to go to Garden City. And we're going to have our evening service with their church family, which is now becoming our sister church. And uh, we're hoping to partner together um, many, many years in the future, partner together for the gospel, reaching and planning church, reaching people, planning churches in Southwest Kansas. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the start of that on Sunday night, September 19th. But in between now and then, Mike and Shelby have a lot of uh, conversations to have and, and preparation to take place. And so be praying that God would give them grace and wisdom along the way. Well, we're starting this new study, winning the war in your mind, changing your thoughts, changing your life. And uh, looking forward to this, and I will preface it up front. I won't do this with every message, but I'll preface this up front um, that this content, not all the application of it and the structure of it, but the, a lot of the content is coming from this book. This is the book cover, Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, and it's written by a pastor uh, called Craig Rochelle. And uh, again, I, I, I don't endorse his theology at large. Um, I do believe that he's a gospel preacher um, and that he's doing a lot for the kingdom of God. He just doesn't have his theological ducks in a row. Well, in the row that I have them in at least. Um, and, uh, and so I don't endorse that. I would encourage you to get the book though. Um, good books are like this. You eat the meat and you spit out the bones. And, uh, and so I'd encourage you to, to read with discernment, but this is very, very good. I've used it uh, in, in three different counseling um, uh, sessions, um, and it's been very, very helpful to me personally, um, and, and I think to those that, that I've walked through with it. And so I, I, I just wanted to do it with our church at large. I think it'll be very, very, very helpful for us. Do any of you remember um, that really violent Thing you did as a kid called thumb wrestling. <laughs> Do you remember that? Well, I, I would have you know tonight that there, there are actually some people that never outgrew thumb wrestling. In fact, they became professionals at it. Seriously, there's a world thumb wrestling championship held in the United Kingdom every year. That's not fake. That's like a little miniature wooden ring they put their thumbs in and, and, and they do a thumb wrestle. They don't call it the Royal Rumble. They call it the Royal Thumble. Can you, I mean, just imagine that these two Jack tattooed men with nicknames like Under the Thumb and Jack the Gripper. They're not duking it out with their fists. They're duking it out with their thumbs. Do you remember what you said to get the game started as a kid in your thumb wrestling wars. Do you remember? One, two, three, four, I Well, tonight I'm, I'm not going to have everybody do thumb wars. I'm not going to declare a thumb war, but I am <laughs> going to declare a thought war. As cheesy as that might sound. One, two, three, four, I declare a thought war. Because that's exactly what's happening in every one of our lives tonight. There is a very real battle going on in our minds. The title of the series is Winning the War in Your Mind. I like that first word of the title, Winning the War in Your Mind. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be in a war, I'm not interested in losing. 
I want to come out victorious. And that's what this series is all about. Teaching us how to be victorious in this mental warfare that we face every single day. There's a key verse that we'll have for this series found in Proverbs 23 and verse 7. It says this, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Would you read that out loud with me? For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's also a key statement that goes along with this verse. And it's this, what you think shapes who you are. Say that with me out loud. What you think shapes who you are. In other words, in 10 years, we'll each look in the mirror. In 10 years from now, we'll each look in the mirror and someone will stare back. The person that stares back at you in the mirror in 10 years from now will be shaped by the thoughts of today. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? What you think today will determine who you become tomorrow. The Apostle Paul elaborates on this pattern, confirms this is true in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. In these two verses, Paul moves from thought to action to experience. Look at these verses. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Notice, notice this pattern that, that emerges out of these two verses. Paul says, think on these things at the end of verse 8. That's thought. Then he says, those things that you both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me. What does he say? Do. That's action. Then he ends the verse by saying, the God of peace shall be with you. That's experience. Thought leads to action, leads to experience or, or habit. So, so, so to experience the peace of God, Paul is saying you must first win the war in your mind. That's where the peace of God begins. In your mind. He's telling us that our thoughts shape our lives. He's telling us that what we think shapes who we are. Those in modern psychology have developed a psychotherapeutic approach. Again, that's not my terminology. That's from the book. And it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. They believe that that many problems from, from eating disorders to Relational challenges to addictions, even some forms of depression and anxiety are rooted in in faulty and negative patterns of thinking. So they got this cognitive behavioral therapy that they use to address this. They say that treating those problems begins with changing their thinking, not their environment, not their acquaintances or relationships, not even their habits, it's, it's their thinking. Now, I don't know about you, but when the Bible and modern psychology say the same thing, and so, so many times they do, by the way, I want to know more. And so we're going to really dig into this for the next couple of months. And, and as we walk through this study, listen, the goal, and Brother David's going to be preaching right along with me, uh, quite a few of these, uh, as many as I'm going to preach. Uh, the, the goal is to show you how you can change your life by changing your thinking. Now, if you're thinking this, I'm really strong mentally. I'm good there. You need this message tonight. 
If you're having a hard time relating with the fact that, that you are in a mental warfare as I speak, you need this message tonight. If it's never crossed your mind that there's a battle going on in your mind, you need this message tonight. Because the first step to winning the war in your mind is to recognize that there's a war going on in your mind. And not just to recognize it by way of admitting it, but also to be willing to confront it. And to know exactly what's happening in this war and who's behind it. A lot of the message tonight um, will be theoretical. Um, it, it will be based on principle. Uh, general in some ways. Brother David's message in two weeks. We've got the ordination next Wednesday. So in two weeks and Brother David speaks. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly practical. You don't want to miss that. But this lays a foundation that's very, very important. Two main points tonight. Let's study together. First, recognize the reality of the battle. Be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, would you please? If you have your Bible, it'll be on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible. So you, you don't have to turn there uh, if you don't have your Bible, obviously. If you want to follow along quicker, you can, you can look on the screen. But I, I do want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 10 because we'll be there a couple different times tonight. Brother David, no doubt, will probably make his way back and touch a lot on, on, on verse 5, I'm sure, uh, in his next message. Um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, many have called this thoughtology, Paul's thoughtology class, um, and, and I think that's a good way to put it. I want to read verses 3, 4, and 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, all right? Let's read it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Notice the words in red. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now there are several indications in these verses, and I put them all in red, that show us that we are indeed in a war. And the war's in our mind. Verse 3, it was the word war. Verse 4, weapons, warfare, and strongholds. Verse 5, casting down, bringing into captivity. Military type terms. I want you to picture in your mind, if you would, a battle. In this battle are two, two opposing sides. Now imagine that the people on one side don't realize they're involved in a battle. The enemy's attacking them. The enemy's taking them out one by one. The enemy's picking them off very easily, but they're oblivious to the whole thing. Now, if that sounds absurd and you can't even imagine it in your mind, that's because it is absurd. If you're in a battle, you know it. Yet every day, our enemy is wreaking havoc in our lives through our thoughts and by way of our minds. And it seems like so many believers are oblivious to it. I mean, have you ever wondered why you can't shake a bad habit? Why you feel like you can't connect with God? Why you lose your temper so easily? Why you too often make bad decisions? Why you and your spouse fight so often? Why you're constantly fighting with discontentment at your job? Why you're consumed with worry and, and fear and negative? Have you ever wondered why? The reason why is because your mind is a war zone. And you're under attack. It's critical, church, that you become aware of the fight. So I began to think... 
uh, about this, this lack of awareness sometimes of, of, of the battle and where the battle is actually taking place, which is in our mind, I, 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 I do want to give you the benefit of the doubt because I don't think all believers are oblivious. I don't think that's the reason why so many believers are losing the war in their mind, just because they're oblivious. I do think uh, a sense of, of unawareness is, is present in some, and that's the reason. But I think, I think in large part, it's not just being oblivious. It's that a lot of believers just don't want to confront what's going on in their mind. So instead of confronting it, they know it's there. Instead of confronting it, they just want to deny it. They want to suppress it. They want to ignore it. They just want to hope, it, they just want to sweep it under the rug, hope that it goes away. They want to power up. You know the power of positive thinking? Write this down, write this down. You can't change what you won't confront. A key statement of the whole message tonight. You can't change what you won't confront. Say that out loud with me, ready? You can't change what you won't confront. Say it again. You can't change what you won't confront. So many believers are doing their best to pretend like they're happy on the outside while war rages on on the inside of them. They're, they're just hoping it'll fix itself. As a result, because they keep pretending, as a result, because they keep denying, as a result, because they keep suppressing, as a result, because they keep justifying, as a result, because they keep minimizing, here's what's happening. They're losing. Because you will never win a war that you refuse to fight. Are you hearing me? You may recall from history class that the United States took a while to engage in World War II. They say we spent the first years maintaining a neutral position. We believe that because the war was over there, it wasn't impacting our lives on our soil. Eventually it became clear though that Hitler and the Axis powers wouldn't stop and the freedom of the entire world was hanging in the balance. So when the Japanese bombed our naval base at Pearl Harbor, it was the final straw. Finally, the U.S. entered the war. On D-Day, we joined with other allied forces as 150,000 troops stormed the beaches of Normandy. Y'all read about that and know about that. Unfortunately, the Germans were ready. They set about 4 million landmines to protect the beach from such an invasion. 4 million. They also rained down gunfire on our men. You've read it. You've seen documentaries. The sacrifices that day were enormous. It'll give you the chills. It'll make you sick to your stomach. Thousands of lives were lost, but the confrontation was necessary. Because there was no other way to defeat evil than to confront it head on. The United States could not be in neutral position any longer. They had to go forward. They had to engage and they had to confront. In the same way to win the war in our minds, we must confront it and engage in it because there's no other way to be victorious. You can't be in neutral for the rest of your life. You can't just be unaware of what's going on up here. You just can't be suppressing what's going on up here. You can't be denying what's going on up here. Minimizing what's going on up here. You just, you just can't talk it out every day to a good friend and, and, and then go back to the patterns of thinking up here and then talk it out and go back. No, it's time to engage. It's time to confront. 
That's the first point, recognizing that the real battle is in your mind. I've seen so, so many believers who have this bad habit or this sinful addiction that they just can't shake. And because they're not aware or won't admit that the battle's in here, guess what they try to do to fix it? Try to take outside measures. They try to make outward adjustments. So they're, they're going to change the places they go that trigger those habits or those temptations. They're, they're going to change their, their environment. They're going to change their relationships. The people that enable and encourage that kind of behavior, they're going to cut those people off. And while those are really, really good decisions, they won't get to the root of the problem. Because the battle is not outside of you. The battle's inside of you. The battle's in your head. Your habits are a result of your thoughts. There are things going on unaddressed in your brain that you must begin to battle if you want to break that addiction. I wonder if you're having difficulties tonight in your marriage, specifically with problems, I don't know, in communication maybe. That seems to be a common problem. Well, listen, you don't address the problem of communication in your marriage initially by reading a marriage book on how to communicate. The battle for good and healthy communication in your marriage has to be fought first in your mind because your words are a result of your thoughts. I wonder if there are any here that are having a hard time staying out of debt. Not necessarily because something unexpected come your, came your way uh, recently or unavoidable circumstances that, that set you back financially. But if you're honest, because of continual, impulsive, and irresponsible spending. If that's the case, watch here, you can write a budget all you want. It's a good thing. You can hire a financial advisor all you want. It's a good thing. You can listen to as much Dave Ramsey as you want, and that's a good thing. But if you don't deal with the way you think about money, and you don't deal with the way you think about possessions, and you don't deal with the way you think about stewardship, and you don't deal with the way you think about happiness and contentment, you will return to impulsive and irresponsible spending. Are you listening to me tonight? The place where change begins is in your mind. What we think shapes who we are. Last point, not just recognize the reality of the, of the battle, but lastly, recognize the strategy of the enemy. Recognize the strategy of the enemy. Did you know that every successful sports team scouts their opponent before they play them? Every single one of them. When I was uh, uh, driving bus for, uh, for the district, I, I would often uh, drive the football team, the high school football team, on Friday night. And every time, I mean, we go out to Great Bend and play. That's, that's not a short drive. We go to Wichita and play. We go to Hayes and play and get back real, real late. And then I would hear the head coach tell all the assistant coach, see you in the morning. I'm like, what are you guys doing coming back in the morning? And then oftentimes on Sunday afternoons, they were coming back to watch film, to grade the way they played this last Friday and to watch film of the opponent they're about to play next Friday, like six days early. Why? So they know how to run their practices that week. So they know how to get their team prepared for their opponent. They want to understand what defense are they going to run? What offense are they going to run? Who are their playmakers? Who are their difference makers? What are their propensities? What are their tendencies? I, I, I read an article about uh, Peyton Manning. And he attributes most of his success to his preparation. 
And, and, and I forgot the amount of time. I couldn't find it uh, in my files this afternoon. But the amount of time he spends watching video between Sundays or watching video when he did play between Sundays, it's crazy. It'll blow your mind almost obsessive about watching film. He would take it to, to his hotel room the night before. He would be in the film room every single day. He would call receivers up and say, meet me here at this time. We got to watch some film. He'd call offensive linemen up, say, meet me here. We got to watch film. That is after he's already watched it so he could coach them. Why? So he could understand his opponent. So when he says down said hut and he goes back and he's got some of the world's best football defenders playing against him, he's going to know when they're going to blitz and what kind of packages they're going to shift into and, 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 and their deception on the defensive side of the ball. That's what made him great because he understood his opponent. We would do well to not just recognize that we're in a battle, but to understand our opponent. This is very important. We would do well to not just recognize that we're in a battle. I hope you do. But also to understand our opponent. Of course, we know our opponent is the devil. That's no secret. But what's his strategy? What are his tactics? Simply, how does he attack our minds? I'm going to lay a foundation here. And David's going to come on the backside and bring a lot of application in a couple weeks. John chapter 8 verse 44 introduces the devil as the father of lies. He says, ye are of your father the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar. And the father of it. I think it's interesting that the only time Satan is called a creator, a founder, a liar, a father here, is, is in connection to lies. It's like he's the originator of it. He's the master of it. Deception is his specialty. Listen, the devil's strategy very simply to defeat you is to get you to believe his lies. Do you hear me? If you agree with that, say amen. Let me know you're with me. So what does that look like? Go all the way back to Genesis 3. Look at the screen at verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he wasn't outright, go back, go back, back. Back to verse 1 and 2. He wasn't out, outright lying there. He was trying to plant a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3. Verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Here's the lie. And the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. What was his lie about? He was trying to uh, lessen the severity of the consequences. He wanted to make sin look really, really good. He, wa he, wanted, he wanted the price tag of sin to be nearly free. Verse 5, Brother Dustin, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. How do I know that was a lie? Chapter 2, verse 17 is the truth of what God said. Put it up there, Brother Dustin. Chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. From the day that thou eatest thereof, what does God say? Thou shalt surely die. What did the devil say to Eve? You're not going to die. God's not really going to kill you. 
Now, you might be tempted to think that that's kind of one of those stories we read to our kids and we put on the shelf and come back to it a year later. It's in the children's Bible and we read it once a year and it's, it's the slithery serpent and he's subtle and he's sneaky and he's going to get our kids if we really let him. But that's for adults too. Last time I checked, Eve was probably an adult. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a kid's bedtime story. This is put in the Bible as a sober warning to you and me. That the devil is out to lie to us about sin. And if you think that somehow these tactics have expired, you can go to the New Testament, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. And look what Apostle Paul says to this church. But I fear... Let's by any means, as the serpent, just like the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The Apostle Paul brought this up years later and said, Church at Corinth, you are susceptible to the same exact deception and lies that the first human beings were. So, so what does that look like? For the devil to attack us with lies. Well, I thought of it like this. It's one lie after another. And, and it's like both sides of the coin are a lie from the devil. Doesn't matter what you do, he has a lie to counteract it. So if you succeed at something, maybe he can convince you that you don't need God. That's a lie. If you fail at something, he'll try to brainwash you into thinking that you'll always be a failure. That's a lie too. If you do a nice thing for somebody, he'll get you to think really highly of yourself, which is arrogance. If instead you speak harshly to a person, he's going to whisper that you're awful and hateful and nobody likes you. If you're trying to stay away from pornography, he's going to tell you everyone else is doing it. You might as well, which is a lie. If you give in to pornography, he's going to make you feel like the only person sick enough to do such a disgusting thing, which is a lie. If you work really hard to get into shape, the devil's going to get you to be obsessed with how good you look, which is vain. But if you just let yourself go and stop caring, the devil's going to tell you that you'll never be able to lose weight, which is depressing. Do you see how he just lies and lies and lies again? He'll use deception creatively and ruthlessly until he can persuade you to believe his lies. That's his strategy. And unfortunately, Satan's lies are easy to believe, aren't they? Have you ever thought about why? Why are you so gullible? You know the Bible. I preach the Bible. A lot of sermons I've preached this last year. A lot of time I spend in the word studying, but yet I'm still gullible. Brother Mike, if you found that out, it doesn't matter how much you preach. You're just as gullible. Why are we so gullible, so vulnerable? Well, part of the reason is that because of sin, we have a flawed internal lie detector. What's that called? Our heart. That, that's supposed to be the lie detector. But it cheats us. It deceives us. That, that spiritual being inside of us, the Bible says we ought to keep and guard, for out of it are the issues of life. That little ticker in there is a liar. Jeremiah 17, 9. Put it up there, Brother Dustin. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Proverbs 14, verse 12. 
There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Hey, 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 this ought to tip us off to the fact that we have a propensity to be wrong. It's sitting in the notes, but I think I need to say it. You're not always right. And in fact, because of of that ticker inside of you that is sinful and deceitful, it's going to make you feel like you're right when you're not. You got to be aware of that. And that's why we so often give in to the devil's lie in all these different areas of our life because of our sinful bend. We're extra gullible. So that if, if Satan can get you, watch here, follow me, please. To believe a lie in your heart, watch, your life will eventually be affected as if that lie were true. Write this down. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. You've got to get get this. I know you're tired, but you've got to get this. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Point in case, for centuries, people believed the world was flat. Did you know that? Did you know that some still do? If you don't believe me, Google it. You'll find they're what they call flat earthers today. Seriously. Because these people back in the day believed the wrong idea, guess what? It impacted their lives as if it were actually true. How so? People would not venture too far out into the ocean for fear they might fall off the edge of the earth. True story. Why? Because a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Growing up, this one's a little more modern, a lot of us were told that going swimming right after eating wasn't safe. Our parents made us wait 30 minutes after a meal to get in the pool. The only problem is that it's not dangerous to swim after you eat. That was and is a lie. I'm dead serious, actually. You can go study it. You may be thinking, no, I'm pretty sure they were right. No, they weren't right. Modern science says that's not right. Yeah, the, the lie affected our lives as if it were true. I can't tell you the countless hours of swimming that I missed out on because I had to sit on a picnic table for 30 minutes and let my hot dog digest. Are you kidding me? What, I'm going to Charlie horse and drown? Missing some swimming time isn't that big of a deal. But what if you believe significant lies that has serious implications? What if you buy into the lie that you'll never be good enough? Well, then you'll live like you're never good enough. What if you buy into the lie that you've made too many mistakes to succeed? Well, then you'll live like you've made too many mistakes to succeed. What if you buy into the lie that God doesn't really care about you? Then you'll live like God doesn't care about you. What if you buy into the lie that you'll never be able to stop doing what you don't want to do? Then you'll keep doing what you don't want to do. Do you see how a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true? So when that happens, when you believe the devil's lies for long enough that they affect your life as if they were true, Something is formed in your mind that the Bible calls a stronghold. Okay, go back to 2 Corinthians 10 if you're not there. In verse 4. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word stronghold is translated from a Greek word that means to fortify. So, so in ancient times, a stronghold was a building. It was a, a fortress built on the top of the highest peak in that city. It was surrounded by a reinforced wall up to 20 feet thick. In times of war, if the city was attacked, the stronghold was often seen as unapproachable. In fact, political leaders were hidden there so they wouldn't be captured or killed. It was the safest place in the city to be. Our version of that in the United States is called the Presidential Emergency Operations Center. It's the safest bunker in the world. Here's what Paul's saying. We have mental and even emotional strongholds. Certain lies that have a stronghold on us. You get it? Paul compared these lies that we believe to the fortresses of his day. Like the walls of the stronghold, the devil's lies have been reinforced over and over to become bigger and stronger. And we believe them for so long, they become literally a part of us. And did you know that's exactly where the devil wants you? Watch here. He wants his lies to be so fortified in your mind that truth cannot penetrate. I want to say it again. He wants his lies... To be so thick and strong and big and fortified in your mind that truth cannot penetrate. When a sermon is preached and the Holy Spirit's trying to transfer that truth from your ears to your mind, the devil wants his lies to be so thick in your head that truth can't get in. When a trusted friend or counselor or spouse is nudged by the Holy Spirit to confront you about a potential blind spot in your life, the devil wants his lies to be so fortified in your mind that whatever that person says to you can't penetrate and make a difference in your life. When a difficult circumstance comes your way and the Lord wants to use that tragedy or that trial to, to change your thinking on some things. The devil wants his lies to be so deeply planted in your mind that even a tragedy can't get your attention. When you're offended by a brother or a sister in Christ or a family member or a co-worker or a friend of some sort, the devil's lies he wants his lies to be so thick in your mind that even their most sincerest of apologies can't penetrate. That even their most truthful and logical explanations for why they did what they did can't get into your brain because there's a stronghold of deception that you believed for so long. Listen, the devil's strategy is deception and he'll lie to you again and again and again until you believe him. If you resist him one time, don't think he's running away. He will make one brick at a time until it's a stronghold. And if you tear the wall down, guess what he'll do? He'll go to the other side of the brain. He'll go in the other ear. He'll use another angle. He'll use another friend. He'll use another podcast. He'll use another book. He'll use another trial. He'll use another offense. Whatever he has to use to lay another brick. And he will lay it and lay it and lay it and lay it and lay it. And, 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 and when you finally get tired of pulling down the stronghold, that's when he'll know he can lay those bricks real quick.
and real easy because you are just flat wore out. You stop fighting. By the way, that's, that's the only way the devil wins if you, if you quit. It's the only way a stronghold's built in your mind if you stop take, taking those thoughts kept into captivity. David will talk about that. It's our job. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the good Lord, to continue to protect our minds. We can't afford to, to believe his lies. Let me close with this story. When, when legendary ma magician Harry Houdini came into a town to do his show, he often went to the local jail, gathering a crowd of people along the way. What he wanted to do is, is, is get the buzz going uh, about his upcoming performance. So he would ask the jailer to lock him in a cell and time after time and jail after jail and town after town, Houdini escaped within minutes, sometimes seconds. But one jailer heard that Houdini was coming and that jailer was ready. When Houdini closed the cell door, the jailer put the key in the lock and secretly turned it the wrong direction. He then removed the key and everyone watched as Houdini struggled to escape by unknowingly locking himself in over and over and over. Bless your heart, Maddie Mae. Finally, in frustration, Houdini admitted he couldn't escape. The jailer then revealed his deception. Watch, Houdini had believed a lie and the lie he believed held him captive. Living your life according to a lie of the devil is a lot like believing the door is locked when it's not. On the other side is freedom. But believing the devil's lie will cause you to settle for an imprisoned life. God wants you to win the war in your mind. But believing the devil's lie will cause you to lose time and time again and eventually settle for a less than existence. So how do you keep from believing those lies? Well, Brother David's going to preach about that in a couple weeks. I think the title of his message would be something like this. He said, remove the lies, replace with truth incredibly practical you're going to have to commit church to some personal lie detection to experience the abundant life that Jesus came and died to give you for our invitation tonight I want to invite you to do some searching would you do that I want to invite you to do some confronting you can't change what you won't confront so, so, so I want you to not only just recognize you're in a mental war with, with the devil, but, but I, want you, I want you to admit to the Lord that you might be believing some things that are not true. All you got to do is evaluate what's coming out of your life. Evaluate the words that are coming out. Evaluate your patterns of behavior. Evaluate your spending habits. Evaluate your chief frustrations and centers of stress in your life. Evaluate what keeps knocking you down. Evaluate those things. And, and if there are any of those things that pop up, guess what? Something's going wrong inside here. I'm not talking about just an occasional sin. We're sinners. We're going to sin every day. I'm talking about patterns. Are there patterns in your marriage? Are there patterns in your communication? The patterns in what you look at, 
Is there a pattern of laziness and slothfulness in your life? So, so, so if there are things going on, here's, here's how I want to use the invitation time. I just want you to pray what David prayed. God, search me and know my heart. Try me and and find every wicked way in me. Lead me to the way everlasting. God, I'm going to give you permission over the next eight weeks or so. Just help me to detect the lies that I'm believing and tolerating that are going to lead me down a path that will not be good. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. As the musicians come, I'm going to have a word of prayer. As I pray, I want to invite you to an altar. Would you come tonight at the start of this series? not comfortable or able to come to an altar, I want you to pray at your seat. But an attitude of prayer and reflection and, and humble searching of yourself, I want you to apply yourself to get a good grade in this series. Okay, you're going to hear some things that are going to really challenge how you've always thought. You're going to hear some things that you're going to want to push back on. You're going to hear some things that are going to really be uncomfortable in this series. You're going to be asked to go to some places in your mind that you've been unwilling to go for years. You're going to be asked to admit some things about yourself that are, that are super humbling. So as I pray, why don't you come? Would you do that? Father, I love you. I pray that you would indeed search my heart. Know my thoughts. Reveal every wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I don't even know that way sometimes. Show me what lies I'm believing right now that hurt my marriage, that hurt my parenting, that hurt my financial stewardship and, and ability to be generous. Show me the lies that I'm believing that have, that have hurt my health, that have hurt my leadership right here at church, that continue to cause me to say things that aren't pleasing to you. Help me to, to reel those lies in. Put a, put a magnifying glass on those for me, Lord. The ones I've tolerated for so long, I can't even see them without your help. Help me to be honest. Help our church to be honest. Every man in here, every woman in here, young and old, saved for a long time, newly saved. God, reveal to us that we need to be aware of the battle in our mind and confront these things and engage in this battle. It's the only way to victory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together with this song. It's a prayer. Lord, I need you. Lord, I come. Sing it, church. I confess. Bowing here. I find my rest. Without you. Without you. like you mean it. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. 
love this next verse because it offers hope where sin runs deep, not shallow, where it runs deep. We're gonna learn about these trenches that are created in our brain over years of thinking a certain way. I mean, it runs deep in our brain, but grace is more. Where sin goes deep, grace goes deeper. How many thankful for the grace of God? Sing this verse. Where sin runs deep. Praise his name. Your grace is more. Amen. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are. Love this. Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Chorus one more time. Sing now. Lord, I need you. Oh, I Amen. need you. Every hour. Every hour I need I love this next line. My one defense. My one defense. Yes. My righteousness. Oh, God, how I need the Bible tonight, say amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We'll hasten to a close. Men, why don't you come get ready for the offering tonight at the Cake Cafe. They're selling brookies and no-bake cookies for one dollar a piece along with your favorite caffeinated coffee-based beverages. Amen. Um, let's see here. Um, I don't know if everybody's got a chance to meet uh, Miss Rebecca Sheldon. I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you stand so everybody can see you? She's our, our new third through sixth grade teacher at our academy. Welcome her to Fellowship Baptist Church. If you haven't seen her, thank you, Miss Rebecca. She, she is coming uh, from promise of a letter from, uh, help me with the name of your, is it Worth Baptist? Yeah, Worth Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, they're going to be sending a letter, hopefully stating that she was a good member in good standing. I'm, I'm confident they will. Um, and uh, then there, there, there was a, a little guy that snuck into the baptistry. We didn't get him on the bulletin. You might have heard of, heard of him before. Kai Knutson, you know that little guy? Anyway, he's a new member too. Praise the Lord. Got dunked on Sunday. That was a good baptist, baptistry service. I was a little nervous about how that shower seat situation was going to work out. That worked out pretty well though. Worked out pretty good. My, my arm wasn't tired at all <laughs> afterwards. If, normally I'm baptizing 13 people. I'm like, man, I should have been working out this last week. Um, but uh, that, was, that was fun. I'm glad that worked out. We're, you're going to be seeing that under construction here in a couple weeks, I think. So uh, be good. Uh, Partner with Parents is um, this coming Sunday night after the evening service. And so if you're a parent of a teenager, they'll feed you a meal and they're going to give you a calendar of what's going on in our youth ministry for the next quarter. Also going to be encouraging you in your parenting. And then I think your kids will be in the gym and they'll be served pizza as well. So 7th through the 12th grade. If, if that's your child, be in, in that meeting, partner with parents at the Waltons. And then, of course, Brother Mike's ordination this uh, next Wednesday, the 25th, the reception, the 29th. I want everybody to bring a card. Now, I'm going to tell you, those are really, really powerful. My wife and I, after celebrating our 15-year anniversary, took home all those cards with us. And we, we, we sat at the island in our kitchen, and it probably took us about 45 minutes to go through those and read those. Um, but, man, those got me big time. And I took that stack and I put it right beside my bed and they're still there. Uh, because there's times when I just, I'm just going to use those against the devil. <laughs> right? I'm going to open those up and say, man, 
That, that's, that is provoking me to love and good works. I say all that to say, do the same thing for them. Because when you get in the trenches of the ministry, you need to know people are for you. And that'll be a huge blessing. I, what I liked is people actually took time to write some things that were very, very meaningful. And that meant, that meant the world to Jenny and I. Um, heart to heart, ladies, September the 7th. That's the first one of the year. My wife's pumped about that. And then Kids for Christ resumes Wednesday, September 8th. So that's fourth through sixth graders will be on that side of the building. Uh, potty trained through third grade, I believe, is on this side of the building. The youth, they're already up there on Wednesdays anyway. So that's September the 8th. And then Teacher Appreciation Sunday, September 12th. All right. Be inviting teachers. We're, we're putting uh, some material on fa Facebook right now. Those are videos and, and there will be flyers going out. Anytime you see those, man, pass the word along. Hit share on Facebook. And, and get those things going. Um, that really, really helps us. I'll be meeting with the superintendent soon to be able to spread the word through our district. And if you are involved in other districts and there's something that I can do to get an email to all the teachers, that's what we do for the USD 480. So if, if you're involved in other districts, Turpin, Tyrone, uh, Plains, Kismet, whatever, I would love to work with those districts too. We want as many here on Sunday as we can get. We've already got some amazing sponsors going to sponsor some awesome, awesome giveaways and, and all that. So can't wait for, for uh, Teacher Appreciation Sunday. And then we're going to be praying for Miss Amy going through cancer treatment. Margaret has her surgery tomorrow. Carla has a full body scan to see what, uh, how the cancer is doing for her on August the 27th. Donna Seals and those immunotherapy treatments until February, we're going to trust that God will use those to work. Miss Phyllis is uh, getting rehab. Uh, Sheila texted me yesterday. We got admitted to the hospital. Have you heard, Miss? Okay, uh, she got admitted to the hospital with some some heart difficulties. They're going to observe her. I haven't heard back from her, but we'll pray for her. And then Ruby Harrington, uh, she got hip surgery because she fell. She was in rehab in Beaver. Now they've transported her to Good Samaritan Center, where she will finish out her rehab. And I'm sure there were some. That, that I didn't mention, and I apologize um, for that, uh, but uh, we'll do our best to, to pray for them as they come along. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate your presence. Lord, I love you. Thank you for being here with us and uh, helping your word to go forth. And I pray that, that, that we would not deceive ourselves tonight into being just hearers of the word, but we would be doers only. I, I think of Brother David's message that will come on the backside of this one in a couple weeks that will be so essential to this study of detecting the specific lie that we struggle with. I pray that you prepare the way for that message. Lord, I think of all these folks uh, that I mentioned, Amy, Carla, Donna, Miss Margaret, Miss Phyllis, uh, Miss Ruby Harrington, Miss Sheila, uh, several others, Lord, that have ailments and, and things going on in their life, some that would never even tell me because they're, they just don't want to come across that way unintentionally. So, Lord, you know, and you get it, and you're intervening, and you're all wise. And so I pray that you would meet the needs of your people. As we give our offerings and our tithes now, help us to be generous, sacrificial, and obedient to you. And I know you'll bless it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give unto the Lord.
one order of business to take care of. I forgot about. Miss somebody got need your pen and the paper. We got to make a little church-wide vote here. We're going to vote on whether or not to get me a Corvette. And so, just totally kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. It, it's a Tesla. Uh, no, um, in, in the past, what we've done as a practice is if we're going to have different staff members baptize up there, then we want to authorize them as a church uh, by way of a vote uh, to baptize. And Brother David is going to be doing some baptizing in the future. And so all we do is, is just take a motion. Uh, that the church would authorize Brother David to vote, uh, to not vote, but to baptize. Take a second, and then all in favor, and then any opposed, okay? Uh, anybody want to make a motion? All right, Brother Ricky Emmons makes the motion. Brother Travis, shake your hand up for a second. Will that work? Brother Travis Burgess will make the second. All right, all in favor, raise your hand, all 16, 16-year-olds oh, 16 and above. All right, very good. Any opposed, like sign? All right, none opposed other than a couple four-year-olds, so we're good. <laughs> you can dunk people, man. How's it feel? Feels good, doesn't it? Feels great. We, uh, I practiced with him up there on the shower seat. He's a, he's a tall drink of water. I talked about that before. It's a good thing we did because Sid had the shower seat too far over. I took David down for the first time. got that close from hitting the wall. I'm like, oh, no, we got to push that sucker forward. So. Anyway, he was almost the martyr, but it ended up good. Hey, go out and have a great week. Come back Sunday. It's going to be a great day of worship together. Love you, church. You're dismissed. Choir hustle straight up.